I'm going to be Superman. I'm going to be Batman. Why do you want to be Batman? Because I got to go with God. I'm going to be Wonder Woman because girls rock. I'm going to be Baby Jesus. Why do you want to be a baby? Because he can save the world. John Schmidt, I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and if you're wondering, hey, why did we introduce superheroes and baby Jesus? Why did we put all that together? Well, it's to introduce our series going into Christmas, The Foolishness of Christmas. The foolishness of the whole Christmas story, because if you and I were going to send a Savior into the world, why wouldn't we send Superman, someone with a cape and who's bulletproof with x-ray vision? And why wouldn't you send Batman? I mean, he does have a really cool car. And why wouldn't you send Wonder Woman? But instead, you're going to send a baby? Well, that seems foolish to us, but the Bible tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And you're going to see that all throughout the Christmas story. That's going to be our angle in this year. So if you've heard the Christmas story before, I want to take us in through a different door and talk about, well, why did God do it that way? Because he did some things in a very unique way, and there's a lot of life application on the way for you and me. So as we get our hearts ready for Christmas season... I hope that as we study God's word together, he will speak to each one of us. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today and look at your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Father, your word tells us that your foolishness is wiser than our wisdom, and I believe it. And so today, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to some things about the Christmas story we may never have noticed before. We're only a month away, and Lord, uh, we've just been through Thanksgiving and Black Friday sales and football games. And Father, um, I pray that just for a few minutes, we can focus on you and why you came into the world in the first place. And along the way, I pray, Lord, you'll speak to us about how we're supposed to live our lives as people who trust in you more than we trust in ourselves. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need a pen, uh, please raise your hand when the ushers will bring one to you. There's an outline in your bulletin just entitled, The Foolishness of Jesus Forerunner. Uh, when Luke starts his account of the gospel, of his gospel, his account of the life and times of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, he talks about Jesus' birth. And he says, well, if you really want to understand Jesus' birth, you've got to understand that before Jesus was born, God sent a forerunner, somebody who would go ahead of him and prepare people's hearts for him to come into the world. Uh, that's the, uh, John the Baptist. The person we know is John the Baptist. He was a relative of Jesus's and uh, he was a prophet in the spirit of Elijah in the Old Testament said someone like Elijah would come and prepare the hearts of the people when the Messiah would come. The Messiah is the anointed one, the rescuer of God's people. In Hebrew, the word is Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. So Jesus Christ is Jesus the rescuer or Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one who would come and save God's people. And so Uh, When we're looking at Christmas, I want us to come at it from the angle this year where we talk about God did some things in a way probably we wouldn't have done. In fact, definitely in ways we wouldn't have done. But Paul says this would be expected. This is from 1 Corinthians 1. Paul reminds us that the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. 
God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And you will see that today when God chooses a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, to be the parents of John the Baptist to bring him into the world. In fact, that's point one on your outline. God chose an old priest and his barren wife to raise John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. There have been prophecies for centuries that someone would come and announce that the Messiah was coming. And you would think, at least I would think, that God would place that child, when that child was born, that he would be raised in the home of some power couple. People with lots of influence, lots of money, lots of connections, so that you know a young couple who's on the who's who list, the under 40 movers and shakers of the world, why wouldn't you put the child in that home? Because if a child was raised in that home, he'd have the best education, he'd have the best opportunities, he'd have all the right connections, he could network with all of his parents' friends. I mean, if you're going to get the word out that Messiah's coming, that's where you put this kid, in that family. Well, God didn't do it that way. In fact, Luke says, here's how he went about it. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and I'll explain that in a little bit. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. That's verse 6. Let me just read verse 7 here. I broke it at the wrong place here on your outline. I'm sorry about that. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So instead of uh, God sending John to this young power couple, the under 40 who's who, he sent it to an old couple, an old priest and his wife, and they'd never had kids. And they're from this order of Abijah, but there were 24 orders of priests, and with a 1,000 priests in each order. So it wasn't like that was necessarily anything that would make you stand out. And so to some people, you just say, well, he chose some random guy, some random priest and his wife, and they were old. Why would you choose them? And the Bible says that he did so, God did so, because they were righteous in God's eyes. That's the note in your outline here. God chose Zechariah and Elizabeth because of their faithfulness. Faithfulness. They were faithful, and he chose to bless them with a child, even though they had long since given up on having children. He chose them because they were just faithful. The Bible tells us this, The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on earth. He made their hearts, so he understands everything they do. I want to remind us again, if you have a prayer request or you're hurt about something or angry about something, bring it to God. Don't worry what he thinks. He already knows what's going on in our hearts. But secondly, I want to remind us here in line with this story here that if you're wondering, well, I've been trying to do what's right. I've been trying to do these things. I mean, think of your Zechariah and Elizabeth. They tried to serve God faithfully their whole lives, but they'd never been blessed with a child. And in that culture, if you didn't have a child, it was painful because that was considered one of the definite signs of God's blessing. And so for them to keep serving God faithfully was a testament that they really just said, Lord, no matter what happens, we're just going to be faithful to you. They were from a small village. Zechariah would do his duties as a priest when his turn came every year, but they just went about their lives and they were just faithful. But this should encourage you, it encourages me, that God sees. Jesus said if we offer a cup of cool water cup of cool water to somebody in in his name that he'll know that and he'll reward us for it one day. God sees what's going on. 
And so if you ever get discouraged, well, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to do my best at my job. I'm trying to love my kids. I'm trying to love my spouse. I'm trying to be a good neighbor. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying every day, but not everything in my life is lined up. Well, just keep being faithful because this is a life application here. If we're faithful in small things, God will entrust us with greater responsibilities. Now, not necessarily on our timetable. You'll see that with Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, God's timetable isn't the same as ours. But he entrusted them with much greater responsibilities because they were just faithful. And that's the way it is with my kids and things. When they got their driver's license, I loved to, uh, well, I loved the year before they got their driver's license because they got a free chauffeur for the year, and I loved that, okay? But once they got turned 16 and we got them their driver's license, well, then We'd let them drive in zone one for a few weeks where they had to stay within a perimeter. We'd define, hey, we want you to stay in this area of town for a few weeks because we want to see if you're faithful in driving. No tickets, uh, you know, no speeding tickets, no parking tickets, no dents in the fender, no running over mailboxes, whatever it is, okay? We're not doing that. If you're faithful in that, then we'll enlarge the zone, and after a few more weeks, then, okay, well, you can drive. If you're faithful in the small things, we'll entrust you with more. I mean, that's just common sense parenting. Well, the Lord knows that. He says he loves us as a father loves his children. And if we're faithful in small things, he'll entrust us with greater things. Jesus said the Lord speaks about this this way. In a parable that Jesus told about the way God thinks about us using our resources, when one of the servants that God entrusted with good riches returned it with interest, not just interest, but he'd invested and doubled it, Here's what the Lord told him. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And this is what God wants for us. What you're going to see in this story here today, and I hope this whole series is really encouraging to you, Paul told us in Corinthians that God loves to use things the world doesn't think is so important. God loves to use ordinary people to carry out his ministry so that no one can boast in his presence. Where I'm standing here, for those of you who are joining us via video, where I'm standing here, we've got a whole room full of ordinary people here in Prattville. Would everybody agree with that? Yeah. We're ordinary folks here. There's ordinary folks everywhere. I'm, everybody who's listening to this. Do you know that God wants to use you and me? And you go, well, I'm, I'm nobody of any account. I'm nobody who's terribly important. I mean, there are a lot of people who are better than me. Well, not in God's eyes. He has things for each one of us to do. And he certainly had a wonderful thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I hope this is encouraging to you today. If you and I are faithful then God, and we are consistent in asking God to show us what to do next, he'll show us what to do. He'll use us to accomplish amazing things. Maybe he could use you to reconcile two friends who haven't talked in years. You could be the one who could broker that because you know them both. And you could help them forgive each other. Maybe you're the one who can make a difference in somebody's life because you teach them how to read. Or you help them get a job. Maybe you're the one who can lead somebody to Christ. And you pray with them. And that made an eternal difference in their life. But God's got special things for each one of us. And if we're just faithful, he'll show us what they are. And so when God even went about this whole business of sending John the Baptist, it wasn't just some random priest. He chose Zechariah and Elizabeth because they were faithful. And this Christmas, he's looking for people who are faithful to him still. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. 
Now, what's important to understand, well, let me read this next sentence. I'll explain. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. In the temple in Jerusalem, it was a place where that was the worship center for the whole nation of Israel. And sacrifices were offered there and prayers were offered there on behalf of the people. In the morning and in the evening, incense was laid on a special altar inside the temple. The priest, one priest would go in and pray on behalf of the people and place incense on the coals in the altar. And as the incense burned, it would go off this incredibly wonderful smell, a beautiful aroma. And the smoke would ascend up to heaven, and so the people outside in the courtyard, outside the temple, would see the smoke going up, and that would represent that their prayers were going up to heaven, and God would hear them, and that their prayers were like a sweet aroma, because God loves it when we pray. So Zechariah, he was part of the order of Abijah. What you need to know is there were 24 orders of priests. At this time in history, there were about 1,000 priests in each of the orders, so there were way more priests than what were needed to carry out the duties of the temple. because if there were, and they, So there were 24 orders, so they were only on duty for two weeks at a time. If there's two prayers offered a day, well, for two weeks, then you only needed, you needed 14 a week, 28 in those two weeks. So if there are 1,000 priests in your order, it would take 40 years just to go through the order once. So what they did is, this might be the once-in-a-lifetime thing for a priest to go off with the prayer of incense. So they would draw lots for this, kind of like drawing straws or rolling dice. And they believed that God would guide the selection so the right priest would be selected to go off with the prayers. And that's what's happening when Zechariah goes in. He's going to pray on behalf of the people as commanded by God. He's going to go offer prayers of forgiveness and prayers that God would send a Messiah into the world. That was part of the prayers. So here's what happened. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary as the Lord burns incense. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're to name him John. What a great name. Anyway, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And so Zechariah was praying, but as he was praying, I mean, he got a direct answer. An angel came down and stood there and said, Zechariah, God heard your prayers. And how would you like that when you're kneeling beside your bed at night? Lord, I have a prayer request. And an angel goes, right there, God heard you. Here you go. I mean, that's a direct answer to prayer. Before I talk about that anymore, though, uh, if you flip your outline over, there's a note here. God's plans don't depend on luck. Now, the priests were chosen by lot. They would roll the dice or draw straws, is what we would call it, to select who would go from his order. But it wasn't by random chance. The angel wasn't just going to appear to anybody that day. He was coming there to appear to Zechariah. And so God had this thing planned all along, and he guided this. In fact, Proverbs 16 reminds us, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. The older I get in my life, as I look back on my life, I can see how God has has led me from one decision to the next. And some of the things that I thought 
weren't going to be that helpful to me were extremely helpful. Can anybody else verify that? Has that happened in your life? Yeah, things that I thought were just random. There was somebody I talked to this last week. The military brought him here to Prattville, and though it's considered the preferred community, I know all that, okay? They were going, I couldn't believe we were assigned to Prattville. They'd been stationed in Hawaii, and they came to Prattville. Who would, who would complain, okay? I mean, how could it be compared? And they go, but do you know that because we've come here, God has completely changed our lives? He got involved in our church, got, made some of the best friends they've ever had. They were grumbling the whole time that they had to come to Prattville. But God used it. Maybe God's taken you to a career or taken you to a location you thought you'd never go. And at first you dug in your heels and said, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And later on you realized, oh my goodness, God had this thing all ordained. This is where I met some of my best friends. This is where God introduced me to a whole new career. This is where God showed me what my life is all about. And if you and I will keep an open mind to this, my goodness, God is wanting to guide us. Listen to this life application here. God has plans for me. Put your name in there. God has plans for John. God has plans for Tom. God has plans for Sharon. God has plans for you. He has plans for me. Not just a few of us. He has plans for all of us. Listen to what uh, Psalm 138.8 says. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Listen to it again. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. If you have not yet thought about it today, I want you to think about it just for a second. God had plans for this old priest and his wife. They probably thought they were shot. He was probably glad he could go in and burn incense. He's an older guy. He's going, well, this is the one thing I can do that's worthy, that's of note in my life. And he was just beginning. This is going to be the beginning of a wonderful adventure, raising John the Baptist, raising the forerunner of the Messiah, of the Christ. What if God has something in store for you in 2016 that's amazing? Well, I'm too old. Well, how old was he? Well, I've never been anything special. God loves to use people the world considers not that special. And that's why I want us to talk about this this Christmas season. Luke says, hey, if you want to understand the Christmas story, you've got to understand that God's foolishness is brighter than man's wisdom. He wasn't just after some big power couple. He was after a faithful couple. It didn't matter how old they were. It didn't matter if they were well-connected. What mattered was they were faithful because he could entrust them to raise the forerunner. What if you and I said, hey, I'm going to be faithful this next year. I'm going to read my Bible each day and obey what it says. I'm going to ask God to give me the strength. I'm going to keep my eyes open for what God has for me. I'm going to give him thanks for circumstances that at first blush might seem not to be very good and ask him to show me, are you trying to teach me something out of this? I mean, what if we approached life this way? It's part of the Christmas story. It's part of our story. So an angel appeared to Zechariah right at the right side of the incense altar. Now, if you're a priest and you're offering prayers, smoke goes up, representing the prayers going to God. The prayers are being offered at the temple in the holy place. I mean, this is like a phone booth to God, okay, for the priest. So if you're a priest right here and you're offering the prayers, the smoke is going up and an angel appears there is no doubt that God answered your prayers. And so Zechariah goes, wow, this is great news. Thank you. 
No, that's not what happened. Point two, Zechariah doubted God's plans. I mean, if I am God and I'm going to prove to anybody that I've heard your prayers, appearing at the right hand of the incense altar where the prayers go up, sending an angel, that should prove it. I mean, that should be, got it right here. But Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. I mean, we're too old to have kids now. How can I be sure? And then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So Zechariah says, well, yeah, you're an angel, and yeah, you're standing at the right side of the, right side of the incense altar in the temple, but how do I know it's going to come true? And the angel goes, I got nothing. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. An angel on the right-hand side of the incense altar isn't good enough? Well, since you have so many questions, how about you just don't talk to the baby's born? That, maybe that'll prove it to you. And from then on, Zechariah couldn't talk. I mean, this is, what are you wearing? khakis. Okay. You know, I mean, it's like Jake from State Farm. Okay. I mean, what do you, what do you got to do to prove this? Well, how can I be sure? And the whole story is in here to remind us that God is faithful. We're the ones who get tripped up with the trust. God was going to entrust them with the child. God was trusting Zechariah to be a faithful father to John the Baptist. Zechariah was the problem with, was the one who had a trust problem. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary. I mean, he offered the prayers. It usually didn't take that long and didn't come out. Something happened to him here. And so they were wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So when Zechariah's week of service was in the temple was over, he returned home. There's a life application for you and me. We must guard our hearts against doubt and unbelief. I've got to guard my heart against doubt and unbelief. I mean, if everything we're saying here is true, that God uses ordinary people, that God has a plan for my life and a plan for your life, and he's answering it in ways that we probably wouldn't guess, when he gives us an answer to a prayer, and, we're, and our friends tell us, hey, this is really an answer to prayer, well, and we prayed about it, and we're pretty sure this is right, then we just need to proceed. James talked about this. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. I mean, when God answers our prayers, he answered the prayer. He said, I heard your prayers, Zechariah. God heard your prayers that you and Elizabeth prayed for decades that you would have a child. The answer to the prayer is coming now. It was just much later than they thought. And you know the prayers you've been praying on behalf of the people that God would send a Messiah? He's going to do it. And your son will be the forerunner to the Messiah. I mean, you get a better answer to prayer than you could have ever imagined. And yet Zechariah doubted. Hebrews 3 reminds us, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I mean, when, we, when we've been praying about a decision and God gives us clear understanding from this, we need to proceed. When we pray for wisdom, we need to trust God's wisdom. 
my first ministry assignment was in Houston, Texas. I was working with high school kids there, and we had a volunteer in our ministry, and he had been thinking about buying a new car. And he prayed that God would guide him into buying the right car, and he was telling me about what he was thinking about buying, and he was thinking about buying a specific model of Jeep Cherokee and other things. It was all decked out, and he'd found one, and he thought it'd be really neat. What did I think of it? And he came over and asked me, and he said, would you pray with me about this? I said, sure. And, I said, and so we prayed about it. Well, the next day, I read an article in the Houston Chronicle. It said, gave a list of all the cars that were stolen in Houston, and the number one on the list was exactly the car he was going to buy. And I said, hey, before you go buy that car, read this article, because it says, don't buy this car unless you want it stolen. I mean, there were billboards up in Houston that said, Visit scenic Mexico. Your car is probably already there. Okay, anyway, I mean, there were. <laughs> I mean, it was a problem. Okay, and it, this was number one on their list. And so I said, you know, we've been praying about this. I wouldn't buy this car if I were you because we've been praying for God's guidance. And this is the next day. It came out in the paper. It just wouldn't do it. He goes, well, thanks. So he went ahead and bought the car. He drove it out, took a, his girlfriend out to dinner. The first night he had it, came back, and there's broken glass in the parking lot. Somebody had stolen it. He'd had it for eight hours. They found it a few days later, completely stripped to the bone and other things, exactly like the paper warned. He came to see me the next week, and he said, I guess I should listen to prayer, answers to prayer. I said, well, it's up to you. Hey, what would you and I do? What if we're praying about a situation like that, a specific situation, and the next day, or you have a friend that gives you a really straight answer, do you think I should do this? And a friend goes, you know, I've been praying about this. I don't think you ought to. Somebody who knows you your whole life has your best interest in mind. They're not trying to do you in. Are you and I willing to consider such things? What if God wants to take us in a direction we didn't want to go? Or what if God is calling us to step forward into a new venture, but it's going to take some risk? Are we willing to go? Are we willing to trust God? We've been praying about this, and now we've got a clear answer. Are we going to go, or are we going to step back? What's it going to be this next year in 2016? Are we going to pray and then doubt, or are we going to pray and believe? And James says, pray till you get an answer. And there's nothing wrong with getting counsel. Don't get me wrong. Get good counsel. I was trying to give good counsel to a friend. The problem is, are we going to obey if we don't like what we hear? Lord, give me a direction, and we get a direction. Lord, is there anybody else up there? I'd like a second opinion, please. And sometimes when the answer comes, it's black and white, it's right in God's word, and when we're disobeying that, well, then we're just saying God's word is the same as human opinions, and we're not really convinced that God's way is better. That's a big mistake. So Zechariah, he was quiet till the baby came. That brings us to point three. God's foolish way of doing things removed Elizabeth's disgrace and brought joy and praise. Soon afterward, Elizabeth became pregnant, went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace and having no children. And when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. Please underline that. Everyone rejoiced with her. You know, when God's foolish plan is carried out, people rejoice. All of a sudden now, a couple's rejoicing about moving from Hawaii to Prattville. I mean, who rejoices about that? People who understand that God had something more in store than just the climate or just the beach, or the beach in Hawaii. 
Everyone rejoiced with her, and when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. I mean, he'd be Zechariah Jr. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What a wonderful name. Anyway, what they exclaimed, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him, and he motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John, because that's what the angel had told him. Zechariah had gotten over all his doubts. Those nine months of zipping it, that convinced him it was true. Okay? So instantly Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Please underline that. Everyone rejoiced with Elizabeth. Zechariah began praising God. And awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what happened spread throughout all the Judean hills. And everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Now again, God used an old couple, not well-connected, not super wealthy, not media moguls, not Hollywood darlings, not political leaders, but just faithful people, said, no, you're the two that I want to raise this young man. You're faithful, and you're going to shape him in important ways so he can carry out his duty. I need you to. What if God has a plan like that for you and me? I mean, the Christmas season is a season of hope. It's a season of joy. Started out with Elizabeth. Great joy. I mean, people were celebrating. I mean, here's an old woman having a baby. Not only that, but her husband, who's been mute ever since he came out of the temple, he writes out his name is John, and we can't shut him up. He's praising God, talking about how great God is and God's plan for this child. Something's up here. Paul said, God chose the despised things of the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, and as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Zechariah didn't boast about himself, boasted about God. And Elizabeth said, God's done great things better than I could have ever dreamed of. Last life application. God still removes disgrace and brings joy and praise. Now look, some of you might have come here today because you're home for the holidays and grandma drugged you or (laughs) your mom made you come to church. I don't know. All of us are here though, all of us here though need to understand that God still answers prayers. God's still in the business of healing people. God's still in the business of restoring people and giving people hope. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If you have a heavy burden here today, don't carry it into 2016. Let's give it to the Lord. He is good and kind. He knows how to, he knows how to feed our hungry souls. John said this, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, Christ says that he'll forgive our sins. John, by the way, means the Lord is gracious. That's what his name means. The Lord is full of grace. 
And that's why they were to name him John. He was going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. I mean, the best interpretation of that is there would be hope again for their children and their children's children. There's hope for generations to come. The hope was coming back. He would turn the rebellious back to God. God wants us to come to him in this Christmas season. Don't let this opportunity pass. God has a plan for your life. If you've been through some hard things, take them to the Lord. He knows your heart already. He knows what you've been through. If you need help to understand that, if you need counsel to figure out what God's doing in your life, come see us. That's what Christian friends are for. We'll be glad to pray with you. Because God wants to give us hope and joy And when we sing Christmas carols, he wants us to mean the praise because he's got plans for each one of us, not just for some of us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the foolishness of using Zechariah and Elizabeth. I wouldn't have chosen them. Father, I don't know that I would have ever sent a baby into the world in the first place. Superman or Batman seemed like a lot better choice. But Father, um, I thank you that in your wisdom you did things in such a way that no one could doubt about your motives and no one could doubt about your power. Lord, I pray that today we would learn from this and Lord, Lord, we would learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth's example. Lord, we'd just be faithful even if things don't turn out the way we expect. Father, some of your plans take longer to develop than we care for. And Lord, I'm certain that they felt like Well, they felt like there was no hope they'd ever have kids. And yet you blessed them with something wonderful. A child that wasn't only an answer to their prayer to have kids, but a child that would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And God, what if you have great things in store for me this next year? Am I open to that? And what if I need to let go of some petty attitudes or some sinful habits? Oh, Lord, I pray that I will, so I'll be in perfect position to obey. I thank you that Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful. I thank you, Lord, that you blessed them and answered their prayers. And I thank you, Lord, that you are still in the business of answering prayers and restoring us. In just a moment of silence, if there is a great hurt in your heart or a great disappointment in your heart, you say, God, you know the hurt that I have. And God, would you show me what your plan for me is? Would you give me hope? Would you take my burden? And while you're praying, would you pray for someone else who's going through a hard time and say, God, would you give hope this Christmas season? And would you allow me to help? Just pray for one person right now that you might help. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you do things in wonderful ways, wonderful ways that result in praise, that give you all the glory, in ways that challenge us to trust you more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.